Hello and welcome to the Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic about Big Ten football. This is Scott Docterman. I mostly cover Iowa. Today I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Nicole Arbach, uh, a senior writer at The Athletic and host of the Power Hour podcast. Nicole also happens to be an expert in all things Big Ten related and the reigning National Sports Writer of the Year. Nicole, welcome back to The Big Show. How are you? I'm good. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's good to see you again. I hope you're having a, a great summer. Uh, what's left of it, I guess. Well, I thought there would be a little bit more of a real summer, I, I will say. There was so much NIL and playoff expansion news and transfer changes and all that stuff. I did think we would hit the stride of a normal preseason, but Texas and Oklahoma had other plans, so here we are. <laughs> yes, here we are. Uh, and that's where I wanted to bring it to right away, and that is a week ago, Media Day seemed filtered with a bunch of intriguing, uh, I would say, topics like NIL, college football playoff, all that seemed to be center stage along with the sport itself. Then a day later, college football's record skipped uh, with the report of Texas and Oklahoma seeking their own form of refuge, I suppose, in the SEC. Realignment's back, um, and 2010 and 11 are back on the turntable. First of all, (laughs) what did you think when you heard this report? Uh, last Wednesday. Well, it it totally blindsided me. And it blindsided so many people in college sports, uh, certainly within the Big 12. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who are very upset about the way that this went down. And I I just think, you know, it was something that wasn't on anyone's radar, was not on the front burner. You really did think a 12-team playoff addressed a lot of the issues and, and really did put all five power five conferences in a pretty good place. And, and I think all you really needed to know that about how surprising this was, was Bob Bowlesby comments six days before this breaks that he brought up unprompted at the end of his remarks at big 12 media days saying like, Oh, no one asked me about realignment, like feeling good, you know, very stable right now, basically. And, and it obviously wasn't. And so, um, you know, it's just been a crazy week since that news broke. Cause initially you're like, this can't be real. Is this, is this real? Is this real? And now we see how far along this process actually is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how do they operate in secrecy for so long? Do you think it had something to do with the pandemic that people weren't on campuses as much, <laughs> that there weren't any of the you know, usual gatherings, uh, beers on the side, whatever? Or, or, or yeah, it just, it's, they're great. It's, <laughs> it's possible. Um, I, I think with this in particular, you had to be really careful because we're already seeing, you know, the threats of litigation from Oklahoma State's president and other people around this saying, clearly these conversations have been happening for a while and that's a breach of your contract with the Big 12. And that's part of the reason the SEC put in their statement that, you know, they did not reach out, that they, you know, are not being proactive. They're not trying to talk to people who are under contractual agreements with their leagues right now because that's what you have to say from a legal standpoint. So you have to be really, really careful and try to do this above board, even though there will be lawyers, no matter what, you're trying to guard against, um, you know, legal exposure and things like that. But it's wild to think that these conversations were happening the same time that that four-person working group was looking at playoff expansion, because that's that's Bob Bowlesby, Big 12 commissioner, that's SEC commissioner Greg Sankey, working together sporadically over the last two years, theoretically, for what's best for college football. 
And then you, you just think about, you know, Sankey thinking in the back of his head, knowing that, you know, hey, we, we might be getting Oklahoma and Texas. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's certainly going to work out pretty well in a 12-team playoff, too. It's, it's almost uh, the analogy that I would use in some ways is it's almost like working side by side with someone and then you're, you're cheating on the, their spouse. You know, they're, they're, your spouse is cheating on them with the other person and that something's going in the plans to have that spouse leave. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just a really wild scenario. And I imagine the betrayal here. I mean, it was strong back in 2010 and 11, um, but everybody knew that something was going to happen. Uh, when Jim Delaney in 2009 dropped that letter to say that they were now active in realignment, everybody knew what was going to happen. The only question was which schools felt actually miserable enough in their leagues to want to leave them. And, and there turned out to be a lot of them. But I think what happened, you know, and that in 2011 was a little bit of a shock as well when, when A&M and Missouri ended up leaving and, and some changes there. But this one just came completely out of the blue. And no offense to those teams, Nebraska, A&M. I mean, they're not Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, that's a there, – there's like a – in college sports, there's it's like Thanksgiving. And you have like the big table, and, and that's where the biggest sit, you know, in Alabama and Ohio State and Texas and Oklahoma right there. Then you have like the kiddie tables and the medium-sized tables and the cardboard one around the corner and the hall. <laughs> and a lot of these schools that compete in the Big 12, no matter how good they are, and I sit in a state where one is really good this year, um, they're not going to get a sniff. So what does this mean, I guess, starting off for the Big 12 teams? And, uh, and in a little bit, we'll get into what it means for the Big 10. Well, it's the big question. The, the question is, are these eight schools going to stick together? And if they do, are they going to try to add teams? Because – you know, the, the the one key piece to start off with is that they will retain their status as a Power 5 conference. It, it, did, it did not say that they had to keep Oklahoma or Texas so that they had to be at 10 schools. So that's important just from, like, NCAA legislative and, like, legitimate power standpoint stuff um, and distributions, right? So that matters. Um, and that's an incentive to stay together. And I also think – you know, in, in, in times like this, um, at least initially, you do, you do need to kind of operate as a block, probably. But as we know, during conference realignment phases, um, everyone freaks out about being left behind. Everyone freaks out about inaction. And you're going to have members of that group of eight teams looking around, seeing if the Pac-12 is interested. Obviously, West Virginia reported this over the weekend, but West Virginia would love to end up in the ACC. That's where they would have liked to end up a decade ago. And now they feel like they have upped their academic standards um, and, and considerations. The resources are better. They think they're a more attractive target to the ACC this go-around. That would get them, obviously, a lot closer to other teams they play and reunite them with Pitt and some of their other big East rivals. Um, so I think you're going to have people vetting out opportunities. And the question then becomes, you know, do you operate in your own best self-interest or do you try to keep what is left of the Big 12 together we don't know that answer yet. The, the American Athletic Conference is intrigued and interested. I mean, you're going to see people attempting to poach both directions, right? Mm-hmm. If those eight stay together, are they going to look at the Cincinnati's and the UCF's and the SMU's? Is the American thinking they're stable, thinking that, you know, everything has been devalued in the Big 12 media deal right now with, with losing their top two anchor brands? 
you know, do they think that they could entice the leftovers to the AAC in, in that direction, right? Like there, there's so many unknowns right now because all of these possibilities were not on people's radars, as you said, it, when something so shocking drops in this world and people haven't had time to prepare for potential contingencies, it might take a little while to figure this out, even though we know how fast realignment news can happen. Yeah. I guess right now the, the one difference between the AAC and the, the current Big 12 is there's a $30 million gap in revenue from meteorites deals. I mean, when you're the AAC and you're looking at about a $7.5 million um, deal per year for, for your rights versus what Iowa State and Kansas State and those schools are getting right now, I mean, that's that's significant and that's probably going to be the, the what ultimately shifts some of these teams around. But as you said, West Virginia, it's always been kind of its own little enclave and out in the middle of nowhere. So I think that's, um, I think that makes sense if the ACC comes calling for them to go in that direction. And I, I would doubt that anybody would blame them in the plain states because of just where they're located and how they were brought in to begin with. Uh, but for the schools, uh, you know, back in 09, 10, 11, and then ultimately in 14, when the Big Ten expanded, AAU membership was a big deal. And uh, Nebraska was a member, then got booted from the organization. And I know academics around the league were really upset um, that they felt like they were had, that they would have never agreed to this if, if Nebraska wasn't in it. Um, you know, it was kind of a technicality, if nothing else. But uh, there are two schools in the Big 12 that have that kind of um, – in membership, and that's Kansas, and that's Iowa State. Now, knowing where I am, Iowa will play nice in public, but I don't see Iowa uh, allowing Iowa State to get any footing at all in the Big Ten. And I don't think Nebraska or Minnesota would want to either because they're only a couple of hours away from both from that campus as well. Um, would Kansas generate any interest from the Big Ten and maybe a lifeboat or – is it more of, hey, if they're the number two and they go to 16, then that's probably more likely. So so here's where I start when I think about the Big Ten. I, I wonder if there is anyone in that group of eight, which, by the way, we, we need to come up with a name for them. And mm-hmm. I pitched the irate eight because they're very upset with Texas and very disappointed in Oklahoma. But... The thing is, and and this is not just a Big Ten question. This is also an ACC question because, you know, we've outlined why West Virginia wants them, but you got to think about it from the ACC perspective too. Is there anyone in that group of eight that actually provides enough value to go out of your way to add? Because you're talking about in the Big Ten, I mean, Scott, you would know that exact figure more than I would. It's like, what, $50 million each year each school gets? Yeah, I mean, uh, two years ago it was right around fifty-five to fifty-six. This year it's projected to be fifty-seven. Last year was forty-two, even with uh, even with the yeah. the season. Okay, so yeah. if you're adding another member, you're going to divide that number by another mm-hmm. team. So you need to add fifty-five million dollars mm-hmm. worth of value, right? Essentially, and and I think that's where when you look at the rest of the the Big Twelve. Like, if you had Oklahoma and Texas that were possibilities for the Big yeah. Ten, absolutely you look at them. Texas is an AAU school. Oklahoma's not, but you could, you know, you that's what you work through, right? Yeah. Like, those schools have that value. The way I keep thinking about this with everybody else is you're basically, when you talk about, oh, you know, with the Big Ten ad, Kansas, with the Big Ten ad, um, you know, TCU, I don't know, whoever. 
It's adding bodies. It's not adding value. You you have a really high threshold you have to clear in order to make it worth it for the Big Ten. So that's why when you talk to people in the Big Ten, they point that out. Yeah. They talk about that. They're they're at 14, and they went to 14 for a reason. They got into those other mar- media markets. They expanded into more into the Eastern time zone and the East Coast. They already did that, right? Like the, the reasons for expansion the last go around were clear. They were achieved. And now they have a high bar of entry. So to me, the Big Ten, the schools the Big Ten would want to add if you, you know, blindfolded anyone in the league, spun them around and said, okay, who do you who do you want is the Big Ten. Aren't all the schools that the Big Ten wants either in the ACC or the Pac-12 or aren't they in South Bend? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think any of those eight schools in the Big 12 are in that grouping. Right. The three schools they brought in were all flagship institutions of their states. Nebraska is almost a, an outlier because of the population base, but at that time, and still a little bit to this degree, it, it commands a large presence. It is a you know, old school blue blood in football. And, um, and then you look at Maryland and Rutgers. You get Washington, D.C. You, you solidify Philadelphia. You get New York market where they have an office. You have the, the eastern seaboard. And, and uh, you know, as Jim Delaney would say, you know, look, that's the richest corridor in the world. You want to build there. You want to live there. You don't want to rent there. And with the demise of the Big East and, and the AAC and those types of uh, conferences, that that was an opportunity for the Big Ten. They sought it. Um, you know, the results are the results. Um, I don't know that anybody thought that those two teams would walk in and win a, a divisional title in football. I don't think that was necessarily thought of. In Nebraska's case, it was. And Nebraska is clearly underachieved on the football field because of that. But but with Maryland and Rutgers in particular, that was a way to gain access to that area, and then of course allow the the Big Ten network to to kind of thrive in those in those regions. And and if you have competitive teams there, you're fine. But what, the next one is kind of as you said, the Big Ten has to enhance its brand and its value because you know even the the office also gets, uh, you know, so basically there are 15 shares right now. The office gets its its own share, which is about the same. So, um, you know, you look at, okay, what schools are on that level? Not, you don't want to go out and grab another Illinois, Purdue, or even an Iowa. You want to grab somebody that, okay, they're playing. We want to watch them. That's, you know, Nebraska was going in there. So that goes to Notre Dame, which we all know is, <laughs> you know, the, the Moby Dick to the, to the, Big Ten's Captain Ahab. You're just not going to get it. Well, and and it's worth pointing out, too, that the ACC, because mm-hmm. of their agreement with Notre Dame, would be the league. If they, if they join a league, it has to be the ACC. Yeah. Um, that contract goes, I believe, through 2036. So that is a, a long window of time here where the ACC would be the landing spot if Notre Dame wanted to join a league. And the only reason you could think about, because they value independence so much, they already are taking less money to go independent than they would be as an ACC member. They're doing that and they're fine unless playoff access is determined by conference affiliation. Mm -hmm. If you have to be in a conference, then they will. But you know what? They already sacrificed a buy. They already Mm -hmm. sacrificed a top four seed and they're fine with this. Mm -hmm. It solidifies them as an independent. So, so therefore you you just go back to this, this issue where if you're the big 10, aren't the schools that you would really want, already in Power 5 leagues? Aren't they already in the ACC, already in the Pac-12? When you talk about the big, the, the adult table at Thanksgiving, 
That's like USC, right? Right. Maybe North Carolina because of the basketball program and who knows. I mean, like, I'm trying to think what there, – there's very few schools out there that are in that grouping. And they're already in the ACC and the Pac-12. We talk about the academics and all the other requirements culturally for what the Big Ten is looking for. And I know people have been making fun of this, this idea of, like, an AAU school and this academic certification mattering to the Big Ten. Again, I don't think you – sacrifice that and and again these are presidents and chancellors making the decisions but i don't think you sacrifice that unless you absolutely have to for like an oklahoma yeah you you would not have sacrificed that for texas they have it yeah they have it they're an academic goliath um you know they're just known for their athletics uh they're that that's what's interesting about potential expansion is if you if aau membership is that important and it is the only the exceptions would be Notre Dame, um, it would be Oklahoma, but even and then there but then there are schools in the past that ten years ago Florida State would have been one that people would have said wow yeah that's a power well it hasn't been a power for a while um, and that's probably why I think a lot of people are starting to look west look to the west coast look to the you know the Pac uh, twelve because there has been. I won't say discontent, but there has been some issues there. I mean, and now granted, a lot of that was under the direction of Larry Scott, who's no longer the the commissioner there. But you look at, uh, you know, it's clearly underperformed financially. It's uh, it's Pac-12 network is like a microwave TV station from the 70s. Uh, Nobody can get it. They do have nine out of the 12 institutions are AAU members. Um, You know, there are powerhouses potentially. And I think... At this point, there are at least three programs that you could put at the top of the list and say, wow, okay, those are home run hires. And that's, you know, USC, Washington, and Oregon. And then, but I also think if you're going to get USC, you would, or at least approach USC, you'd probably have to include all four California schools because when they divided between North and South divisions, uh, the California schools were adamant. We have to play each other, even if we're not in the same division. So, there's two public, two private, Stanford, Cal, UCLA, USC. So if the Big Ten made a push for maybe those six schools, um, it would fit ac- academically, of course. I think it fit culturally. Hold on, but, Scott. Are, have you, did, did, are you replaced by Andy Staples? Did, <laughs> is that what just happened here? I, started I didn't talk, even realize. Uh, I started talking about this at Big Ten Media Days. I just okay, didn't get a column okay. out there like you did. <laughs> Uh, but uh, no, I, I mean, I, I looked at everything from the finances there, which is, uh, you know, uh, Oregon and Washington are, are, have big time, generate big time revenue. USC, not as much now, but I think that's really because of the network. Um, UCLA is an underperforming school and same thing with Cal. But I think if you give them a reason, BTN West um, and the, and then I know there's a lot of people who say, well, what about, uh, you know, travel or whatever? Well, sacrifice it. And I think as long as they allow them to operate as an autonomous entity within the Big Ten structure, I don't think there's much of a problem there. I think it would be actually pretty interesting if there was, say, one game per year where a, a Midwestern-type team goes out to the West Coast and vice versa. And, and then in your uh, Olympic sports, travel partners. You know, okay, you're going to play Cal on a Friday in basketball and Stanford on a Sunday, and voila, you're off. Yeah, I, I again, I think you've got to think about everything, everything on the table. Uh, geography doesn't matter anymore, really. I mean, I think there's 
it, this and this is part of what sucks about realignment is the further you extend your leagues, the harder it is for fans to get to games. The more mm-hmm. expensive it is for ga- fans to get to games. Um, unfortunately, that ship seems to have sailed, and people are doing this. But I think that's part of the reason. Again, if you're the Big Ten, you think about of the leftover eight in the Big Twelve. Do you need to add anyone? Are they bringing that actual value? That conversation and calculus is probably different in the Pac-12 if you're looking at those eight schools, right? Because, you know, you're thinking, okay, could we get into Texas? You know, we're already in multiple time zones. Um, You know, we could just extend, you know, into a little bit further into the Midwest and the Southwest and whatever, right? Like, it's a little bit of a different calculus, especially, as you mentioned, with their media rights, with, with how much their teams are making. Although I will say... In the last week, the Pac-12 has just now shot up by default. They're the, you know, they they've passed the Big 12. They now can be an aggressor. The narrative has totally shifted. As you mentioned, new commissioner who's been very clear about football first, football is king. Um, you know, there there seems to be a real opportunity there, and people are tossing around Baylor and Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, whatever that might look like. Again, the calculus is incredibly different in the Big Ten. Big Ten and SEC, the money is so different than everybody else that you can afford to be incredibly picky and strategic. And I don't think the Pac-12 is in that same boat. No, you're right. I mean, there is a, a wealth of difference between a Washington State and a, and a Washington for that much, for that right. matter, financially. And then, and then you know, you look at the the like-minded cities and states, and you know, there's there's probably more in common with uh, Seattle and. Detroit or Philadelphia than probably other than Atlanta and the South. And, and so, but then I don't see the big 10 wanting any kind of affiliation with a, a religious institution. So that would rule out Baylor and TCU one that doesn't have AAU accreditation. That's well, and that's Oklahoma the thing. State. So again, you can say all these things and then, you know, if it's Notre Dame, you are willing to do it, right? Like that's where I think people are missing the, the boat on the AAU conversation it matters, mm-hmm. except for a very select few. And if you're not talking about the very select few, then it comes into play again. Right. Because they're not going to add Villanova, <laughs> you know, but, but they're going to, you know, and, and the, uh, what was the, the, the instrument girl? Piccolo. <laughs> the Piccolo. Piccolo. Yes, that's right. Uh, they're not going to add, that would be a good basketball school, of course. But, but yeah, Notre Dame does kind of shift that narrative uh, it's different um i remember when notre dame denied um it, the membership opportunity in 1999 and and certainly would add that kind of value in a different way um and then you know again i, I can't see iowa and to a lesser extent minnesota and nebraska being okay with an iowa state i just i think that that's a non-starter so, so that's an interesting point um, because I feel like that is essentially why Texas A&M has been so upset, right? This, this idea that your conference wouldn't go out and get another major school from your state after – and again, the question is, like, is that a gentleman's agreement? Is that an official policy? Is it something that, like, the commissioner has, has talked to your president about – in the past, is it like the presidents of the two schools in the state don't want to be in the same league? Like, there's a lot of different factors at play. So I'm wondering your read on it from the Iowa perspective, because I think it also probably applies to any conversations that would involve Penn State and Pitt being in the same league, I would think would be very similar to this Iowa-Iowa State dynamic. I think 
part of it is when you look at, I mean, Texas A&M's history in the SEC is, is what, eight, nine years. Um, Iowa's history with the Big Ten goes back to 1899. And there has been a century plus of looking down upon Iowa State, frankly, uh, to not playing each other in football and other sports for 40 plus years because they just didn't want to be involved in them and they kind of got forced into doing so. So I don't see that as a dynamic. The other thing is in Iowa, it's a state of 3 million people. In Texas, there's 25 million people. It's completely different. And Texas as a brand is, you cannot ignore it. It is, uh, no matter how successful or lack thereof, they are in football lately and how they've underachieved. They are still the Longhorns. They are still one of the epic brands in college sports. Um, Iowa State is not. Iowa State but, is a, But is, is it like, is, is it more, I mean, I understand all those reasons, but like, would the Big, would the Big Ten just not go there like out of respect for Iowa? Is that, a, is that part of it? Or is it just that it's not overwhelming enough as an attractive option? I think probably a little of both. I mean, in Iowa's view, I, you know, frankly, of all the Big 12 schools that fail, the, the school that benefits the most is Iowa because right now they're locked in incredible recruiting battles with Iowa State in, in state. Um, they have a, a, a school that can, if it crumbles, if it falls to G5 status, Iowa could pick up more donations. Iowa has the potential, you know, ramifications down the road of, of picking up uh, bigger boosters, potentially more growth from the student point of view. So Iowa, if, if Iowa and Iowa State were on an equal plane in the same conference, there's nothing that Iowa can say to differentiate itself from uh, an Iowa State. And its surrounding states don't have that issue. None of them do. The only one that's close is Illinois, and that's with a private school in Northwestern. But that's also a state, you know, that's what the sixth highest population in the country. Wisconsin doesn't have Wisconsin State. There's no Nebraska Tech. Missouri State is Missouri used to be Southwest Missouri State, and and Minnesota has a, a slug of Duluths and Mankatos, but no Ames. So they are at a disadvantage comparatively, you know, throughout. And then you, you just, and Iowa wouldn't want that to have to compete with that on a daily basis. So I cannot see that. And so I would say the Big Ten would say, you know what, you've been a member for 122 years. We'll do that out of respect for you. But then in a value point of view. I, I mean, like, look look at the football numbers here. I mean, Iowa State in revenues brought, um, well, overall revenues brought in $76 million, uh, two years ago. That would be one of the lowest of those AAU membership institutions um, that are in Power 5 programs that are in, in those conferences. So I, I just, I don't think, I mean, Matt Campbell's reign is historic. The best season they've ever had at, at three losses. If he leaves next year, will they go back to two and ten? And then what? We complain about Nebraska not living up to their end of the bargain. Iowa State has the potential to really be a bottom feeder with the wrong coach. Yeah, and again, it's it's more. It sucks to say it this way because brand is such a loaded word these days, and everyone's focused on their brands. But like, that's where when you're talking about values, I, I think you, you made this comment earlier that I think is really important to think about as we think about this wave of potential realignment, which again, we don't know at this point if there's going to be like waves of it. We, cause, because again, theoretically the big 10 ACC and PAC 12 could all just stay put and the remaining eight teams in the big 12 could stay 
at eight. Yeah. Um, and then even if they add some teams, like that still wouldn't really affect the Power Five. There would still be five Power Five leagues. Um, the question is, what for the value, what are you looking at? And the last time we went through this 10 years ago, linear TV was in a very different place. Mm-hmm. So when you were talking about getting into the DC and New York media markets, that meant something because it meant BTN was going to get put on all those cable packages. Now, I think you've got to think about it in terms of content. You've got to think about it in terms of streaming packages, in terms of ways where people are consciously choosing what they're spending their money on. Because if you're the SEC and you're thinking down the road, okay, ESPN, we just signed, we have this big deal. Um, you know, we can probably, you know, ESPN would probably, you know, if, we, if they have more value, they can charge more for their streaming packages for ESPN+. Plus. Maybe they'll have an SEC Plus package. Then we could charge more for that because the inventory is going to be great in regular season, not just football, but also baseball, but also gymnastics because we're adding all of this, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's sort of tied into this move that we've seen over the last year or two with a lot of home and homes getting scheduled in college football. People are concerned about attendance. People are not taking for granted that, you know, someone's going to come if uh, Michigan's playing um, Delaware State, right? You're, you're like, okay, well, they're not going to come. They're not going to spend their money. They're being conscious about how they're spending. And it's the same with streaming. It's the same with all of these things. You have to have great inventory because you're not just able to assume that it'll be part of a cable package that someone's already going to pay for because people are cutting the cord. Mm-hmm. And then B, you know, are, are people buying season tickets the way that they used to? Or are they buying smaller game packs based on the content that they're more interested in seeing, the matchups that they're more interested in seeing. So that's when you're talking about value, it's got to be thinking about what are people possibly going to pay to watch? Are people going to pay to watch Kansas play Penn State in football, right? Like you have to think about it that way because of the way that consumption and spending has changed, even just in the last 10 years since the last round of realignment that was about getting into certain markets and getting into certain cable packages. Yeah, you make a great point. That those are all issues that 10 years ago were was the biggest deal. Who is the biggest market? Who can get you where you want to go? And now it's who would I want to actually sit and buy that game for? And uh, right. and Kansas football no way. It just doesn't now Kansas basketball, well there this is where basketball traditionally gets put in its place. Basketball just doesn't matter when it comes to realignment because uh, there's some good teams. There's some good teams in the Big 12. I mean, Iowa State, not last year. They were 0-18, but, but in, traditionally they've been pretty good. Kansas has been great. Baylor won the NCAA tournament. Oklahoma's been in there. Oklahoma State. I mean, Texas all of them. Tech was just in the yeah, championship right. game. And, and it's just it's not driving yes, this it, conversation. Not it's, at it's, all. It, it's, it's kind of like it's a bonus if basketball is good. But uh, when, when it comes to the Big Ten, and this is, this kind of is a nice segue here, what if the Big Ten does stand pat? Um, there are a lot of discussions regarding college football playoff positioning. And, uh, you know, you were there, I was there a few years ago when Jim Delaney had his, what, like 1910, uh, you know, still kind of confusing uh, demonstration there, which was that they were all going to play one uh, out-of-league major power, nine conference games, no more uh, FCS, and it was all designed for criteria to position themselves to get a playoff team every single year. 
However, nobody else followed them, and I, th I think largely the committee has gone more with the eye test than the actual criteria, and the Big Ten has suffered from that. Um, it has been outranked. It's been outranked even for the uh, you know New Year's Six Bowl games. So when I look at this year, I mean, we make a big deal when the SEC sign, uh, agrees to a two-year deal to go play, um, you know, what Alabama playing Ohio State or something like that, and we kind of all overlook the fact that they're playing three nobodies. Um, whereas the Big Ten, 13 out of the 14 teams are playing at least 10 Power 5 opponents. In the SEC, only one out of 14 is. And we saw it with Ohio State two years in a row where Iowa State or Ohio State goes to Iowa and gets crushed, goes to Purdue and gets crushed, and knocked them out. They might, if there was only an eight-game schedule, they may not even play those games, or maybe one of them, and maybe they get in the playoff. And it seems to me that right now there, there's an appetite on the part of coaches and administrators to put the playoff positioning first rather than play each other more, not less. What do you think is going to be the next uh, discussion, you know, inflection point here on this topic? I think you're absolutely right about some of the criteria not mattering. And I think that's part of the reason that in this 12-team proposal, the way it's written, there's actual benefits for being a conference champion, right? Like it's specifically, you can be a top four seed. So because that doesn't exist right now, it does incentivize the eye test. It does incentivize, you know, whoever's on this committee is just like, I think that team's the best, you know, watching the film, you know, they just seem the toughest. And that's why you've had teams lose a game, not be a conference champ and get in just because people think that they're the best teams in, in the country. Again, until you change the criteria and actually incentivize other stuff, I don't think there's any reason to change. And, and this is something that I think they need to consider when they look at the selection committee. If you go to an expanded playoff, I think you need to look at the composition of the selection committee, possibly make it bigger, more representation, probably in the group of five. Maybe Can, can we have less ADs? I mean, I, I understand that they're probably the easiest to get. It's, it's hard to find former coaches who'd want to do something like this, but... What about former players? Mm -hmm. Like, what about getting other perspectives in that room and actually incentivize scheduling? And I wrote about this a few weeks ago, and, and I think it's worth pointing back out, but the Basketball Selection Committee actually got the entire sport of men's college basketball to change the way that they scheduled because of how they actually selected and seeded teams. Mm -hmm. And they were really clear about it. Like, remember that SMU team that had a horrible non-conference strength of schedule that mm -hmm. didn't get in? Yeah, they were extremely clear that that was why they did not get into the tournament. And so you have prominent snubs. You also have all these members of the selection committee calling coaches constantly. I talked to past chairman of that selection committee over the last 10 years as the scheduling has shifted so that teams were actually playing better competition and trying to go on the road net neutral sites because it was rewarded. And then when they changed the system to the net, they actually put it into the calculation. Like you got more credit for a game when you went on the road, for a game when you went on the road and played somebody who was a better team. Mm -hmm. They haven't done anything like that in football. They, they didn't even do, they don't even do it in the middle of the season. Like I, a couple years ago when we thought Michigan was decent and they lost to Notre Dame mm -hmm. early, you could have kept Michigan higher up and said, hey, we're not going to penalize them for a team for a loss to a top three team. We're going to keep them above some unranked teams because it was good that they played that game. They didn't do that. They don't, they don't operate that way. 
So you're never going to change the behavior of scheduling and, and, and things unless you actually hold people accountable and incentivize the right things. And I think you've already seen people scheduling these home and homes, assuming in an expanded playoff, you will get some credit for that. But the selection committee has to do that. And if it's not written into the rules, they have to be really conscious about that. So until that happens, I don't think anyone would shift. And it basically almost puts the onus back on the leagues that play nine conference games about why are you doing this right. to your team? Should you go back down to eight? And that's my whole point here. When the the Southeastern Conference has not been penalized, and I'm not I'm not suggesting that they didn't fit the eye test. I mean, I think they have in just about every situation, and and we're deserving to be above a Big Ten team like Ohio State in eighteen or seventeen. But when you're if you if you're playing nine games plus another uh, major power, and, and you're playing ten games, and you're Penn State, uh, and you beat a, an ACC divisional champion in Pittsburgh and then you play Appalachian State which is a really good G5 team and then Florida gets two FCS teams at a five and seven Florida State team they don't win the league and they get into the New Year's Six Bowl and Penn State gets left out the criteria is completely you know kapoot it, there's nothing there to it so there therefore if you're the Big Ten you're saying there's no incentive for doing this we should go to eight games and then let our you know, schools schedule how they were because I think there's more of a of a big bang nationally when there's a, kind of a a wow non conference schedule as opposed to the well okay you're going to play Mercer and you're going to play Louisiana Monroe who cares about those games but the Big Ten they almost get penalized because they play nine and everybody seems to forget that that they're playing a bunch of nobodies when actually um, playing conference games and playing road conference games is very difficult in a league that's been around for 125 years. Well, and and here's the other piece to that. Um, I mean, statistically, it's harder to win a conference game than a Mm non-conference game because there's familiarity, whatever it is. Um, So you are at more risk for an Ohio State-Purdue result than you are, you know, if they played a random group of five team or something. Um, But, again, the the issue is we know why they went to nine. We know why the Pac-12 did. Mm -hmm. It's TV inventory. It's you're in the same conference. Play teams in your conference, right? right? Like, you know, build rivalries, build relationships, et cetera. So you're still going to end up weighing that and what you're going to be offering, again, in this new era where there's an increased emphasis on streaming and other opportunities, other revenue streams, versus how do you protect your best teams to get into the playoff, right? So it's sort of what happened last year where the Big Ten changed the rule to let Ohio State get to the Big Ten title game. The ACC canceled some regular season games to make sure its best teams had a chance to both make the playoff, right? Like, we see this all the time, but that's what the calculation has to be for the Big Ten and in the Pac-12 if they end up going back down to eight games. Right now, it's more valuable for TV. It's more it's more valuable to their campuses to play each other, right? And, and on that off chance that your best team might suffer a loss along the way. Does that calculation change in expanded playoff? Because you should be able to survive one offhand loss in a way that you can't right now. I don't know. But that's the calculation. Because there are benefits. There are reasons that they went to nine and that they stay at nine. Mm-hmm. And you have to cal- you know, weigh that against, are you protecting your best teams, giving them the easiest path to the playoff? It's not a coincidence, despite the fact that Alabama and Clemson have been so dominant, but it's not a coincidence that the ACC and the SEC are the two leagues that have made the playoff every year. 
because they are putting their teams in a position to get there. Right. Um, I want to say 16 of the 28 spots since we went to a 14 playoff have gone to teams that compete in eight game league schedules. Not last year, not counting. 11 have gone to those that have played nine league schedule games. We see it all the time with the Pac-12 where there are trip-ups all over the place. And the Big Ten, that's happened too. I, I think what the Big Ten has to decide, and um, these are the conversations that will go on, I'm aware of, is that, okay, what's most important to us? Is it playing each other more, not less? Is our inventory more most important for television and media rights, which comes up after the 2023 season? Or is it putting our teams in the best, giving them the best opportunity to reach the playoff and multiple teams, not just one, not just two, but potentially three, maybe even four uh, per year to put them in that and then give them that opportunity because you don't want, you want to protect them as best as you can. So I think that's going to be a yin and yang. I know what the coaches think. They all think the same, which is let's play eight, not nine. Um, You know, even Kirk Ferentz, who usually just kind of blows the stuff off, you know, was like, look, um, you know, a third grader can tell you that the math doesn't work for us. And, and if you are playing nine, then you have that opportunity that maybe instead of that Ohio State-Purdue matchup, maybe Ohio State's playing Louisville instead. Uh, because as we know, in a league where these teams have, have histories and there's a lot of, you know, the fans have histories. And that's what, one of the best parts of having nine league games because you want to see – in my case, I want to see Michigan and Ohio State. I mean, Iowa and Ohio State, through two rounds of realignment, have, have played each other a total of four times since 2005. That's ridiculous. And yet, it's going to be, it's not going to be this year either. So, I think there's there's a lot of in-depth and discussion. Now, as far as divisional play, I know that's also up for debate. Penn State's the most vocal about divisional, not liking it. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Do you think they stay the same? Do you think they go to a everybody gets three protected rivals and you kind of cycle through everybody? Uh, you know, what do you think's going to happen in that environment? Uh, so I would say I, I probably don't want to predict um, at this point. I do think you know, with the new commissioner getting his feet under him a little bit, that this is something that would be on the table, something that they could discuss. I personally think you should get rid of divisions, protect a couple of games. And put your two best teams in the championship. I think that positions you best for the playoff. Because then your second place team has a chance if they win. Well, again, in a, in a four-team model, but in the 12-team as well. Because you're giving your teams an extra opportunity against, theoretically, what, a top 10 team every year? Mm-hmm. You'd have both of those teams in the top 10. Um, so that's what I would do. I think it would give you the best games as well. Especially with, this, with the problem that this league has had of being imbalanced and and that's just a geographic issue like again we you know we all make fun of legends and leaders because it was trying to be balanced and no one could remember what who was in which division so regional geographic makes sense however it does put teams like penn state michigan michigan state in in a really tough spot every single year it puts Rutgers and maryland in a situation where like fourth place in the division is a great year like that's the level of success you have so I would get rid of them, protect certain games, rotate through, let everyone play everybody over a four-year period, and do it that way. But I, I think probably everything is on the table. I think, you know, you, you've heard um, Kevin Warren told Colton Pouncey that he's looking at 
moving the Big Ten championship game around, moving media days around. Um, I, I think there's certain things that, just because it's the way that the Big Ten's always done it, are probably on the table. And, yeah. and this isn't even something that the Big Ten's always done. This is just an existence that they've had since Rutgers and Maryland joined, and they again, kind of went through that muddled leaders and legends era as well. So I, I think it would absolutely be something that could be changed. I personally wouldn't do divisions at all. I think it's probably time to get rid of divisions as well. Um, I do think it's a little bit blown out of proportion, the difference between the two divisions, because Ohio State's dominance, if Ohio State was in the West and you flip-flopped it with any other team in the West, even Wisconsin, it would still be, it would still trend that way. I mean, in the seven years that they've competed against one another. Um, the East leads the West 66 to 60, but Ohio State's 15 and two. And we know what those losses were because they're memorable. So I think it's, um, but it, but that said, four teams like Penn State and Michigan in particular, and Michigan State and Indiana as well, and then of course the newbies, that their path is always gonna be blocked by Goliath. And how do you get past that? Well. It's not necessarily not to play them every year. It's just to play them in a, in, and play other teams too. And and likewise, I because I think the the series between Wisconsin, Penn State, Iowa, Michigan, other than last year, of course, for Michigan, have been pretty balanced. I mean, they've been good games. There have been wins. There have been losses by both teams. And then likewise, Northwestern sneaks up out of there. So there there's a lot of parity, I think, at that next tier after Ohio State. It's just Ohio State you know, commands the room. They've won, uh, they've won five out of seven and last four. So it's it's a roadblock for Penn State in particular that it makes it very difficult. So now if, if they do decide to go nine games, I think the best concept personally is everybody protect three games. Most of the cases, that'll be rivals. Uh, rotate the other 10, two years on, two years off. So you're playing everybody home and away, you know, once each over a four-year period. And then the the Champions Week that was instituted last year, I thought that was great. And you could almost spread that over two weekends if you wanted to, you know, the Thanksgiving weekend and the following weekend where you have the Champions meeting one versus two, but then you're not really hurting three and four because they would play each other or three and versus five. And you give them that extra data point if you want to help try to give them a boost when it comes to, uh, you know, positioning for the college football playoff. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And and I think you have to be thinking strategically like this. The SEC is clearly thinking we're going to get half the playoff field mm -hmm. in a 12-team model. And you got to be thinking that way. But I just – I think there was an era of college sports certainly where regional ties, geographic reasons were the main reason people mm -hmm. formed these groups. Like it was to be easier to schedule each other, to play each other, and and for travel reasons. And we've outgrown that period and now you just need to have your best teams playing each other. You need to have your best rivals playing each other every year. Um, and I think rotate everybody else through. I mean, I, I would just do what you can. You don't need to do things just because, you know, they're slightly geographically closer. Yeah, right. Because I think every team has two to three teams that you feel like you want to play every year. No doubt about it. In Iowa, it's probably, it's certainly Wisconsin and Minnesota and probably Nebraska. Uh, Michigan, of course, Michigan State and Ohio State. And and, and there's going to be a little bit of room there with Maryland and Rutgers. Uh, you know, who do they play and, and that. But I think it all works out. Um, 
and then as long as you cycle through everybody, I think it's great. I mean, you, you can tell every single recruit over a four-year period you will play at that one location. If it's a 14-team league, if they expand, then all bets are off. But you, you will play at – if you're an Ohio kid, you'll play in Ohio once per year at least, or once per year career. So I think this is this is something that makes some sense. And then I love the Champions Week concept. I wish, really wish it would have worked. But then again, I wish we didn't have to worry about COVID-19 last year either. So. I, I also love that idea. Yeah, I would keep it. I would keep it. I think everyone should do it. I loved it. And people would actually play it in a normal year. Yeah, right. I mean, last year, you know, there it was started out to be a great concept. And then you had cancellations. And you had, um, I remember, Indiana-Iowa would have been a great game. I mean, you had a 6-1 and one versus a 6-2. and two, And then, uh, you know, Indiana was going to play Purdue for the second straight week, and that didn't work out. Minnesota, you know, they used it for cancellation games, and then, of course, uh, other teams weren't, uh, you know, had to cancel, Michigan being one for sure. But what do you think that concept would work for other leagues? I mean, I guess the SEC would be the one now to, to worry about. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I think, it's, I think it's a smart way to get another game in, but – you know, and also, like, I just, I, I felt like that weekend was better. You know, mm-hmm. we've just been in this era where, are, you know, are people watching the Pac-12 championship game? Is the Big Ten, ACC, are they competitive, right? Like, you know, people aren't sure going into the weekend. And here you have more games filling out the Saturday. And and I like that. I, I liked the opportunity of, of that being the way you ended the season. Obviously, I love ending on rivalry games, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the regular season. But I liked it too because it, it felt like it was a sort of postseason day, but but not quite. But there was something more at stake. I, I don't know. I thought it was great. I would try it again in a year where you didn't have so many COVID issues that actually had to force cancellations. Yeah, just uh, it'll be fascinating though with the kind of the schedule creep, and you look at what was going to happen with the uh, uh, you know with seventeen games potentially for some teams if they're seated five through 12, uh, you know, is this one way to eliminate one extra game for a potential playoff team or teams? And, th- and then I do think if you do have eight league games going into that one, you're not going to hurt, say, two teams or seven and one and a tiebreaker, a weird tiebreaker uh, determines who goes to the championship and who doesn't without divisional play, but you're not crushing that third place team uh, that lost on a technicality that maybe they're playing a team that's six and two, and that still gives you a boost, uh, a win that may get you into the playoff field. Well, with that, um, I want to say thank you, Nicole. It's been a while. I hope uh, you're doing well. And and I want to thank you, our legends and listeners, for spending some time with us and adding us to your podcasting rotation. Please subscribe, rate, and review us five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite prospects. For Nicole Arbach, this is Scott Docterman, and we'll see you soon.